a lot of folks out there with the misconception that because connected TV does come with a premium type of price Mm -hmm. and it's more expensive, that it's a barrier to entry for them. And so they choose to not invest. But especially what this case study is highlighting is the return on investment is huge, even with a media that, yes, is much more expensive than your $2 CPM for display ads. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ROI that you're getting there, the return on ad spend that you're getting is exponential. Welcome back to the Programmatic Digest podcast, a discussion on top programmatic and digital news with other digital ninjas. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own programmatic sensei. You can now sign up on our website to receive a weekly alert every time a new episode drops or sign up for a monthly recap if you like to binge. Head over to programmaticdigest.com for more information. As we continue to brace during these trying times of the coronavirus outbreak, I want to send you and your family some love and encouragement and hope that you're healthy, safe, and at home. With that said, welcome back to the Census Corner, Gabriel. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, it's a new world. It's a new time. It's post-pre during COVID time right now. We're still in a pandemic, so that's why I decided, you know what, let me just throw some uh, videos out there since uh, we don't get to see each other at all. I figured we can put names and voices with the recording. Yeah, nice to have some human connection. I'm sure your uh, fans will enjoy that as well. Yeah, we're going to give it a test. Hopefully they'll enjoy our Saturday morning uh, faces. And you said that it was snowing in Chicago? Oh, yeah, we are buried in Chicago (laughs) and it's freezing here, so nothing's melting away. (laughs) Um, So we're going to, before we get into our topic of the day, which is connected TV news, old and new news, I'm going to say. How about we just uh, go back to like a quick introduction? I know you've been on the podcast before, but for all of our new listeners, can you give us like a good intro of yourself, your background, and then maybe give us like the latest news about SpotX? Sure. Yeah. I'm Gabriel Cohen. Yep. Happy to be back on the uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, I work at SpotX, which is a video uh, ad tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in marketing and advertising for probably around a decade. Uh, I was mostly on the agency side uh, for a long time, doing strategy, programmatic hands-on keyboard, investment, uh, planning, all aspects really of media offline and online, and uh, went over to the sales side uh, with SpotX, where uh, we help mm-hmm. clients understand the changing video landscape and get them tapped into inventory um, at okay. scale mm-hmm. and uh, make it uh, measurable and scalable for them. So we're excited to be here and excited for the future of our company. Yeah. If one thing we can say about SpotX is that they know their shit, you know, um, <laughs> y'all are known for great private marketplaces deals. Um, I definitely think in terms of expertise, you are probably one of the vendors out there. And when I said out there, I said on top, not out there anymore because of COVID. Let's just say that. But um, yeah, I can I can say that every time I've worked with a SpotX contact, I mean, the delivery, the, the customer service have been nothing but amazing. And that's actually why I wanted to chat with you because I came across this case study from the Treatise. Treatise send us a really cool, once in a while, they send us really cool information about their case studies and it was about Anheuser-Busch. So for those who hasn't received the, the case study, it was basically covering 
how display combining display a display strategy and connected TV strategy uh, boosted Anheuser Busch delivery. So for those who don't know who Anheuser Busch is, it's a, it's a, a brewery company, uh, but they also have a lot of different products under their realm. But this particular case study was during the COVID nineteen days. Like I'm saying, during like it, it's over. It's not over, but it was a. Uh, it happened during the year of 2020. Basically, we don't know exactly when, but they made a partnership with Drizzly, which Drizzly is an alcohol delivery service, which I had no idea there was something that could deliver alcohol. And I feel really, really like some type of way. Um, as a new mom, I could have used this last year. <laughs> I can still use it, but for those who, who didn't know about alcohol delivery, Drizzly is one of those. Uh, it's like a postmate for alcohol, basically. So, um, and Heiser-Busch team really... Um, in addition to this plan in Connected TV, of course, they had like a additional media types and uh, device type of targeting during the campaign. Um, but they were able to measure how the users that saw both Connected TV and Display ads were three times more likely to visit the brand page on the Drizzly app or on the Drizzly website. Um, they were also twice as much as likely to visit a product or add to cart page. But the one I really want us to hone in is like the 35% more likely to make the purchase, which is something that for any brands out there that were affected by the pandemic or still affected by the pandemic, I think that number can mean a lot. So can you help us just break it down and first give us your your opinion or just your, your insight about the case study, but also like how can somebody else take that and implement it for that brand? Yeah, it's a great case study. And um not to sound biased, because obviously I'm in the video space, but right. I've made conscious. <laughs> I mean, but I, I'll say this: I'm not biased. Free. Yeah, I'm not free. biased because I've made conscious decisions in my career of where I've gone to work, and I believe in the video space, which is why I went to SpotX and got into video. You know, honestly, I think this case study is about two things really, really important. One, I think it's more about connected TV than even display ads. Yeah. We know display ads are, are, are part of all media plans, but I think it really speaks to that. Mm -hmm. And I think more importantly than just focusing on display, I think it's about cross-screen activity as well. So okay. I'll start I'll start with the connected TV piece. I think there's a lot of folks out there with the misconception that because connected TV does come with a premium type of price mm -hmm. and it's more expensive, that it's a barrier to entry for them. And so they choose to not invest. But especially what this case study is highlighting is the return on investment is huge, even with a media that, yes, is much more expensive than your $2 CPM for display ads. Mm -hmm. um, but the ROI that you're getting there, the return on ad spend that you're getting is exponential. CTV has really come of age. It's matured. Uh, we just updated our CTV stats and CTV for the first time ever has passed cable, television, pay TV, cable and satellite, and ha reaches more households than they do. Uh, this has been accelerated by several years due to the pandemic, cord cutters, people unfortunately losing their jobs and watching free streaming services that are ad supported. Um, 80, 84 million households watch ad supported CTV content versus 78 million that have pay TV subscriptions. So CTV right. is at scale now. And so uh, I think before there was the whole uh, misconception too. So let's say price was a misconception. And then there was the, let's be honest, there wasn't always the greatest user experience. You would see ads right, back to correct. back. Yep. Ads back to back. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the same the ads, the same yep. ads, same ads. And so what has helped is 
advertisers starting to invest more mm-hmm. in CTV. Uh, the technology has come of age where we can ad pod and deduplicate ads so they're not running back to back anymore. Yeah. And more investment there. So better user experience is creating a better ad experience, which is creating more favorability for brands. And this is TV. I mean, it's undeniable. This is television. I mean, I pulled up some e-marketer stats too. I just, I was just curious, you know, um, US programmatic connected TV video ad spending from 2019 to 2022. And in 2019, we were, I believe those are in billions. Yeah. 3.2 billions in ad spending. And then 2020, we went to 4.3, but then between 2020 and 2021. So that's during pandemic, we went from four to 6.7. So almost like 7 billions in ad spend. And, um, and the difference is 54% of year over year. Now they're expanding. Expecting, I'm just going to say predicting or estimating that we'll go all the way up to 8.6. So like that's almost 9 billions just in 2022. So that just goes to show how brands are catch not catching up, but we are adapting. It's a new world. Like it's, we shouldn't be, whatever was working in 2019 should not be still working in 2021. Like whoever says that to me, I have to like raise one eyebrow at least and say, mm, what do you mean exactly? What does that represent? Um, so that's why we we need to be mindful of who we partner with. And that's actually what um, the case study was pointing out, that they were um, they really partners with a handful of network and over the top streaming sources. But they also were able to negotiate custom rates. So um, I think they did their homework in terms of like SPO, the supply path optimization. They really looked at who we're going to buy from, where we're going to buy it and at what cost. And another point of that they made in the case study is that if they didn't work, they didn't continue working with uh, the partner. So um, 35% more likely to make a purchase. I think that's something that definitely should be considered. So in the last year, I'm sure you've seen some shift with some of the brands and advertisers that are working with SpotX, not only because of the news that are happening, some of the merging, the merging that's happening uh, for SpotX, but also you mentioned actually something about updating the technology, staying on top of uh, what's happening out there. So talk to us a little bit more about how you implement, how do you adapt? Like, and that could be like a really general question, but um, in the case of CTV and streaming services, uh, particularly, how did SpotX adapt with the pandemic? Because I'm definitely assuming, and I trust that you did, how did you adapt with your, for your advertisers? Yeah, uh, advertisers definitely, you know, were struggling and then others were increasing investments, um, you okay. know, so, you know, definitely key categories, which I think we talked about on our last podcast. Yeah. You know, um, there were some retails that were hugely affected and then others that increased their investment, um, you know, especially for DIYers and home improvement. Um, true. But yeah, in the past couple of years, I think the CTV landscape, what's important to understand is people expect it to look and feel like TV. Yeah. And, and they don't want to pay for a TV, TV right? Thing, right? Yeah, it's digital. It's supposed to be more efficient. So tell think, us, tell totally. us how you address this. Yeah, yeah. So I think two. One is the the ad experience. Mm-hmm. So when you're watching video on your phone, you know you expect that it's going to load and buffer. You know, so I click on a highlight on ESPN, and then it gives me that little round circle and then the ad comes up and then gives me a little round circle and my video comes up, right? That's the ad experience and video experience that we know on mobile and desktop. Mm -hmm. The problem is people don't expect that on a television. 
So there's a lot more technology that has gone into creating CTV to be a fully targetable, real-time, bitted, programmatic experience, but it has to feel like TV, which those TV ads are placed months in advance. They're set into a system just waiting there to be seen. What we're talking about is loading ads in real time without the buffering, without all those things. So there's a lot more technology that goes into that. And therefore, that's where the kind of the cost to your point comes in. Because yeah. to build an ad experience that looks and feels like TV, but has all the benefits of programmatic is extremely expensive, <laughs> time consuming, uh, and, and really difficult to build. There's many layers of technology that go into that from server side ad insertion vendors um, to you know ad servers and SSPs working in tandem in a lot faster and more efficient uh, manner. So, um, you know, that's where that cost comes from. But again, to, you know, like we've been talking about with this case study and several others that I have that I'll share with you afterwards, yeah. um, the return on ad spend is there. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, marketers and agency folks, they have to get out of their own way and thinking so price oriented. This is a measurable media where you can, to your point, measure, optimize, stop doing something that's not working. This isn't an offline media where, you know, the old adage, I know 50% of my advertising is working. I don't know which 50%. So you, <laughs> keep, you just keep dumping money into television or radio. I just, I just imagine yeah. Mad Men, you know, just picking up a phone, like a rotary phone and just pick, you know, making... <laughs> not giving shots to traditional media but this is when you say things like that i just imagine the show madman like when he was calling on the rotary phone cigarette yeah. in, in the mouth but um anyway continue yeah yeah i mean that's it, my high eye high like high eye disturbance of the podcast like just <laughs> back there just throwing things at, at you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, you know you get what you pay for uh this is measurable media there's yeah. the attribution has improved um the way to measure it so, you know, I think we're there and we're seeing the shift. Our company is seeing the shift. People are taking money out of linear and they're going to CTV. Um, linear is still a great, you know, linear television is still a, a behemoth. You know, you're reaching 120 million households with broadcast, whether that's free over the air, cable subscriptions, or people subscribing to a service like a sling where you're getting those broadcast channels. So still a great place to invest. But yeah, CTV has reached its maturity and, uh, uh, coming of age. Uh, but the other point too, is the cross screen element of this. So this is this, this campaign they're referencing, you know, with display as part of it is, you know, desktop, mobile and CTV. Okay. That's really important. I think a lot of folks see, okay, these are my TV dollars. Now CTV is cool. Now I invest there. And, you know, I don't invest as much in desktop and mobile anymore. And that's a big mistake. Um, to this case study, it's showing the, the effect of cross-screen. So somebody seeing a TV ad, seeing a display ad, going and adding to cart, buying a product. I have a similar case study, which showed the exact same thing. This was uh, uh, represented by a Cantar Miller-Brown study, which measures awareness, favorability, purchase intent. Okay. We saw massive lifts in that by doing a cross-screen campaign. It was all video, of course, because that's what we have. But right. um, to, to the point, it's just desktop, mobile, and CTV. And what's interesting about that is that those played off of each other in a way that's very significant as well. Mm -hmm. So CTV drove the most significant impact on awareness. Big screen right. um, also did really good at driving favorability and purchase intent. But again, desktop and mobile ads drove the huge lift in purchase intent playing off of each other. I see this big screen, I'm aware, and I now like it. And now I see it on my phone again. And oh yeah, I need to go buy this product. I need yeah, to. I remember the name of that one 
ad that I saw on TV. So big screen, CTV, streaming inventory would be something to consider for brand awareness, for reach, for, uh, but not only for reach, it should be definitely considered in our conversion funnel conversation because it does continue to fuel. And it makes sense. Like just in the last year, we see even shift in behaviors, you know, Um, everything is going online. Everything is becoming more efficient to the consumer. I just mentioned the the case study about having alcohol delivered to your doorstep. Um, (laughs) Like you really don't have to leave the house, unfortunately. Um, Now we shouldn't leave the house anyway, because of what's happening right now. So streaming is definitely taking over and there are some big, big guys out there. So I came across another one of e-marketers, very, very, um, really cool little graphs. And it was about the connected TV ad spend by companies. I was trying to find like user user data, but I guess I wasn't looking in the right place. But um, so between YouTube, Hulu, Roku... And then all others, I think YouTube was still pretty solid from from 2019 to 2020. But then we saw an increase with Roku and Hulu. So when you're looking at internal partners within SpotX, because I'm assuming you have you have some partnership with some of those big guys. Do you also see a shift in quality for some of those vendors? Like is Roku maybe not a shift in quality, but like um, based on a campaign that you're running, like conversion wise, result driven, do you see that certain partners worked better during this pandemic than the traditional ones? And why do you think so? Yeah, I think the free ad supported services really grew massively. Okay. Uh, and to your point, uh, Roku is it works with SpotX on our platform. They use our technology. Mm-hmm. They grew exponentially because oh, yeah. people cutting the cord are going to get a device. So they're going to get a Roku. They're going to get an Amazon Fire Stick. They're going to get a Apple TV device in order to do that. Or you know they might use their smart TV like Samsung or Vizio. And those folks have ad supported uh, content as well. Um, so yes, all of that grew. To your point, yes, YouTube. You know their desktop and mobile presence is still significant. Their live TV service has grown. Um, I think they're over a million uh, users now. Hulu, giant in the space as well. Their live TV service grew exponentially during this time. And we saw that as well from the other major players in live TV, like Sling, uh, Fubo, Philo. All of their subscriptions went up. Uh, and we're hoping that that's indicative. You know, that There was a time where the virtual MVPD, as we call them, um, they look and, and play in the, like a cable service with live TV streaming. Um, you know, they weren't growing as much. And uh, so we're excited to see that growth in that space. You know, I think from a standpoint of performance, I think it really depends on your strategy. Obviously, we saw an uptick in changes in investment because there weren't live sports. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, huge change there. So folks had to reevaluate their live TV strategy because a lot of a lot of people were putting most of their dollars into targeting live sports and events, temples. And so I think folks like Pluto TV, um, Tubi, uh, services like Vudu really benefited during this time with their on-demand content. Mm-hmm. Um, and several of them have, like Pluto has live channels. So, you know, it's a, it's a great way to have an ad-supported service that has a great user experience, renting movies, content libraries, all of it for free. So we've seen definitely increased investment in those those type of folks. And that that tends to produce the ROI that we're seeing in some of these case studies. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So last question before we move on to the next segment and close this uh, amazing interview. I wanted to ask, and that's probably like just because for my own personal long knowledge, but we do not have a Sony. We don't have the Samsung. I think we have an LG TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so LG has its own streaming channels. Like it's on the TV. You can go from one channel to the others. And um, the ads are very interesting. So I honestly don't know where that inventory resides. Like for the case of just specifically onto the, the device itself. Where is that type of inventory residing? Because like some of the, the, the commercials I'm seeing, well, not commercial, the ads that I'm seeing on the free channels that we get with the LG device, like with the LG TV are not there. Like it's very, it's not poor quality, but like for instance, just like a small details, but I know as a consumer, it's really annoying. Like the volume of that ad will be so much higher than the actual content or um, the same ad comes back to back, like repeated at least three times in that same ad slot, I would say. So where is that, that inventory residing? Is that, that's not considered CTV, right? Is that considered only OTT? Yeah, that's CTV. So um, just for clarity, like what SpotX considers OTT, the difference between OTT and CTV. So OTT is content that can be streamed on a app like Hulu, Mm -hmm. let's say, for example, or Sling. But OTT, what we consider is somebody watching that on a non-TV device. So a desktop or mobile, if I went to, you know, Sling.com or I have the Sling app on my phone, that's going to still be considered over the top. So it's delivered over the top. CTV strictly is on the big screen and delivered on TV. Mm -hmm. So to LG, I have some good news because we just signed LG. um, And so we're going to improve your ad experience. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Is this a prediction for 2021? So if in three months from now, you're back on the podcast, are you going to give us an update about that? Yeah, well, you have to give me an update on That's your YouTube. I, should, I would be the yeah, because I don't, I don't have an LG. Um, but yeah, SpotX works. So LG, mm-hmm. in that case, is monetizing that inventory that they have on their free channels. Just like I have Samsung TVs and video Vizio TVs, they do that as well. Mm-hmm. So LG is is a customer now of SpotX, and those are the type of things that the reasons people sign on with SpotX is because we solve for a lot of those issues. Our technology enables you to really be able to ad pod, what we call it. So if there's three spots, you can really target that spot and deduplicate. So you don't have that back-to-back, the poor user experience. Things are, you know, more quality in terms of volume and such of that nature. So uh, you'll have to report back to me in a few months as they get integrated. Um, But yes, those are the, those are the problems that we're trying to solve for. You know, we don't want poor ad experiences in CTV. It keeps people from investing in something that can really drive return on ad spend. And uh, so, you know, we, we want to make sure that we work those issues out, but yeah, there's still going to be some um, for the foreseeable future, I would say. It's just a part of building a massive infrastructure. You know, linear television had 50, 60, 70 years to build the experience that they have now. And we've been building the CTV ad experience for probably the past four or five years. And and I think we've uh, done a lot more with it in that time than folks expected. It takes time to mature a media like this. Yeah, I would assume. Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to uh, share with us? No, I'll share some. Uh, I'll, I'll share the article about our partnership with LG, and I'll share some other case studies that can go along with this one um, for when you share this out. Yeah, we're really excited about the conversation. I mean, uh, we didn't have a chance to chat about 
fraud or what that represents mm. for the, the streaming inventory. But we'll have you back on the podcast to specifically talk about that because I think it's important. Yeah. Um, so let's move into our next segment. Before we close, let's just change it up a little bit. So we usually talk about diversity because I think it's really important. But in the last year or so, I think we've lost a little bit that human touch, obviously, mm. no pun intended because of the virus. But let's talk a little bit more on a personal level. So share with us um, how this last year has been, not only on the work related, but I know you have three amazing kids. How has that affected them? And also, do you think we're ever going to go back to working in an office full time? If not, what do you think? What would be the perfect work uh, environment for you in the next few months, I guess? Uh, yeah, I think like everyone, uh, this has been a massive change yeah. in life. Yeah. Um, you know me, I'm a grinder. I work and work and work. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely tough. Obviously, being in a sales role was nerve wracking at times. <laughs> um, you know, when the phone's not ringing and people aren't answering emails and they don't have budgets. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think the biggest things I miss my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was already in my company somewhat in a remote role because my company's based in Denver. And we're a small remote sales team in Chicago. Gotcha. So that really didn't change my way of working. My team was always sitting in Colorado and I was always virtually engaging with them and getting to know them and building relationship that way. But it definitely took away the time spent with my clients, which are the people that I got to be face to face with, you know, and I really miss working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you stay connected with them? We've gotten creative. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, how creative did you get? Share with us. Virtual <laughs> events, you know, virtual wine tastings, yeah. you know, virtual hangouts, playing jackbox.tv games yeah. online. We did have to get creative. Um, and it took a while too. I think, you know, everybody kind of shut down for a little while. Oh, yeah. From like wasn't uh, really, wasn't March really talking. to June, May-ish. Yeah. And then I think clients really realized, uh, you know, this is going to be more long term. So we're going to have to learn how to work with partners mm-hmm. and vendors in a virtual capacity. Yeah. Um, so to your point, you know, of when will we go back? If we go back, um, I don't know that we'll ever go back 100%. Especially, you know, in a sales role, many of my clients, they don't have to go to an office full time yeah. anymore. When you're talking about managers and supervisors and associate directors, People who aren't meeting with clients on a regular basis, face to face, most of them are, you know, working with their companies on a permanent situation of working from home in some way, shape or form, whether that's full time, part time. You know, I think eventually I'll end up going, you know, I'm in the suburbs of Chicago. I think eventually I'll end up going back downtown, whether that's just to be able to take people out to dinners or lunches or of that nature. Um, But yeah, I don't know if there'll be a time in the next few years when they're going to welcome hundreds of vendors back into their offices to do these, you know, presentations mm-hmm. uh, anymore. I think there's going to be a lot of effort in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how is, uh, like, how does Spotix preserve that culture, that internal culture, that team culture that they had before? Um, oh, our yeah. people team, we call them. So yeah, what, people team, people, yeah. Yeah. Call HR. Uh, our people team is. The HR is, people. <laughs> yeah. But they're amazing. They have, I mean, we just had our virtual summit uh, last week that we used to do in person. And yeah, that could have been a real drag sitting on Zoom calls all day long, but they made it really fun. And they do regular things for 
we have parent groups that meet regularly. Nice. We have a mental health channel where we can all talk about, you know, mental health and how we're doing. You know, we do regular trivia games and engaging things. Yeah. So, yeah, it's changed. But, you know, our team, I believe, has done one of the best jobs of doing that and really keeping folks engaged and being a company that's extremely sensitive to the fact that this is wearing on people's mental health. Yeah. And as a company, we need to get a little more personal and we need to dig in with empathy with folks and make sure that they have the time, the resources to get help or to talk or to blow off some steam nice. or to take some time off. So I think that's really important change in American work culture is that, you know, this country and the U.S., we've always kind of been, you know, go to work and go home. And those are two separate things. Yep. This has forever changed our culture in a way that other countries had already been more like where they engaged in people's lives and in that way um, where the U.S. hadn't really done that. Yeah, I mean, great point. Great point. So last question before uh, we end. If you have to give your three things that worked really well in your day to day, how to stay sane, how to stay healthy, mentally, physically, all the above, uh, but also how to stay mindful and present because we get so distracted with technology. Um, you're you're very big on family. So what would be three things that you want to share with the rest of the myself and the audience? Say if you do when I do those three things, I feel like I've been accomplished enough or at least I'm saying <laughs> I'm not going cuckoo for cocoa puffs. I don't have to drink tonight <laughs> unless we want to <laughs> respectfully <laughs> uh, whether it's juice boxes or wine whichever you decide to drink you know <laughs> uh, old fashioned uh, <laughs> uh you know i try to get outside before i start my work day nice okay Breathe some fresh air um, obviously that's more fun when it's not zero degrees outside, but I still do it. I go outside and just clears my head. I'm outside. I'm not just in my house all day long. Gotcha. Um, you know, I try to find some time to be mindful, uh, whether that's going for a walk, uh, you know, meditating, breathing exercises, things of that nature. I like to take regular breaks and kind of walk around the house and just say hi, give some hugs to my family, my kids when they're doing virtual learning, my wife. Uh, you know, and I think I've, I've really gotten into making dinner at night. And so that. Oh, yeah. Makes, I see it on your Instagram. I oh, saw yeah, the gumbo you made. I was like, wait a minute. Let me. <laughs> I was scrolling down like, babe, was that one of your cousin? No, that's Gabriel. Look. He's like, wow, Gabriel is throwing it down. So, yes, yeah, I got to hit up Jay with some uh, <laughs> with some tips on gumbo. Um, <laughs> that looks uh, really bomb. It was really good. But yeah, and so that makes me get offline so I don't work all night long because you can just keep working and working and working. That's true. You know? So I, I, I say, okay, now I'm going to go make dinner I get offline and go make dinner. So those are my three things, I think. Yeah. Good. So find time to get outside, find yeah. time to walk around, definitely make dinners because then... You're going to be in the kitchen for four hours and you won't want to go back to work after that. So thank you so much for joining us on this 2021 podcast. We really appreciate you. We're going to do it again. I will definitely hold you up with that three month mark or even sooner rather um, to let us know. And please continue sharing anything you have with us. We really appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Again, you'll find everything we've discussed today in our show notes on our website programmaticdigest.com you can also sign up to receive our newsletter weekly when a new episode drops or monthly if you like to binge like i do 
In conclusion, fam, our mission on this podcast is to share knowledge, highlight diversity and inclusion in our industry, and educate ourselves as we continue to build this community of curious and confident programmatic ninjas. And if you're listening to this and you made it this far, please stay safe and stay at home. Thank you.